set of seven words of Jesus that I believe uh, we need to grab hold of will minister to us. And that is the first seven words of Jesus after the resurrection. Uh, I'm going to do the first part today. I'm not going three hours this morning. First part today and second part next week. Um, But the first seven words of Jesus after he rose from the dead. Now, what would you say when you met people after being dead for three days and coming back to life? I'd come up with some weird things like I just suggested. But what did Jesus say? And I believe that what Jesus said to his disciples gives us a capsule of what Jesus tells us, whether it's Easter, the Sunday after Easter, or whether it's any time of the year. These are important things that Jesus wanted to communicate to make sure that his disciples understood. The first set is a set of four. The first four words after the resurrection. Words of Jesus where he expressed his love, his care, where he reconnected with his disciples. It was only three days, but the disciples had disconnected in those three days. They'd gone back to their old life. In those three days, they had not just gone back to fishing and tax collecting. They'd gone back to the old way of living. And Jesus was wanting to reconnect with them because everything that he had come to this earth to do was riding on those disciples who each had turned their back on Jesus, who each had gone back to their old way of life. Now, there were more than 12. We talk about the 12 disciples, and that's a primary um, focus as we come to the last couple of chapters of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But there's another set, Mary and a few others, that are part of this as well. Remember, there were 72 that Jesus sent out two by two. There were 120 in the upper room, 120 that were gathered together that included men and women, probably some youth. John would have been 17, would have been some young people, young adults, even perhaps children that were part of the 120. Persons that we read about that were secret believers, persons that we read about who received healing, persons who were drawn to Jesus in different ways that ended up in the upper room in the day of Pentecost. We'll get to that in as we come into June. But this morning, just want to look at the seven words that Jesus had for his disciples, for the people he loved, the people he cared for, the people he cared about after he rose from the dead. And we begin reading in John chapter 20, and we could read in, in, in the other gospels as well, but uh, rather than going back and forth, we're just going to land on the gospel of John and work out of that this morning. John chapter 20, verse 1, and you can follow along in, on your handouts, you can follow along on the on the uh, 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 projection, if you'd like. Early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. What a shock. What an incredible shock. What, what, what What a horrible disappointment, really, if you think about it. Mary had no idea she was going to find this. She had actually gone out, and we read in, in uh, Mark 16 and Luke 24 that she had gone out, she had bought spices. 
And her intention going to the tomb was not to see if Jesus was alive or dead, was not to go to the tomb to see what was going on there. Her intention was to do what she assumed the guys had not had failed to do when he died. Now, we know that Joseph of Arimathea had um, made sure that things had taken, were taken care of for the burial. But Mary didn't know this. All she knew was that Jesus had been buried in this tomb, and uh, likely she needed to go, and, and, the, and, and the, the burial spices still needed to be used to anoint the body. She expected a body that had been decaying for three days in the heat of the desert. And so she gets there. Doesn't smell bad. Doesn't say that in the Gospels, but I imagine that would have been a, something she was expecting. It didn't smell bad. Everybody who goes to visit a tomb after three days in, in those circumstances know that there's going to be a smell. Lazarus was smelling. Um, anyway. Her biggest worry was, how was she going to get into the tomb? She had seen, or she had heard, or she knew somehow that there was a stone that had been rolled in front of the tomb. She knew what kind of stones they were. She knew how big and heavy they were. Mary may have been a really strong woman, but one woman by herself wasn't about to roll that stone away. One man by himself wasn't going to do that. It was always a team effort. So she was worried. And she gets there. A stone is rolled away. It's not there. And, and, and she looks in. It doesn't smell bad. And 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 And... Something's wrong. See, the first thing that Mary recognizes isn't Jesus has risen from the dead, but rather something isn't the way I expected it to be. You go on to verse 2. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. This would be John, remember, in the, uh, at the Passover. And the disciples were sitting around the table. And John was sitting uh, next to Jesus. And um, we, it referenced that John often was the disciple whom Jesus loved. John would refer to himself in the book of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved, sort of like the third person referenced himself. But basically he's saying John. John was a young man, 17 years old as I mentioned earlier, the youngest of the disciples. And so she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and I don't know where they have put him. Something is wrong. Something has gone terribly wrong. We need to figure this out. What do I do? She goes and she tells somebody. It's not right. Something has happened. This is not what, what you know, why would someone steal this body? You see, when we approach the things of spiritual things, our minds are geared up in the natural. Our first thoughts normally are not what we have learned, what we have heard prophetically, what we have read in Scripture, what we have, what Jesus was telling his disciples was going to happen. That wasn't her first thought. The first thought that she had, the first thought that we have is very simple. We think in the natural. The body is gone. Someone must have taken it. The stone has been rolled away. Someone must have been several. Somebody showed up and... For some reason, vandalized the place, and, and, and they're playing some horrible trick on all of us that follow Jesus and his family. Peter, verse 3, Peter and the other disciple, referencing John, referencing himself. Peter and the other disciple ran to the tomb to see the other disciple outran Peter and got there first. You know, if you're 17 and you're racing uh, an old fisherman, you probably should win. 
But for some reason, John, when he's writing this, just, I mean, what? There are things in the Bible where you kind of go, that's interesting. Anyway, he's, he's basically saying, I outran Peter. Uh, yeah, for some of us, I, I, some of us would write that in too. If I would outrun Peter now, I'd probably write that in. If, if uh, um, you know, if I'd outrun Matt, I'd probably talk about it the next Sunday in a sermon and make a big story out of it. Uh, there's some things that we, you know, guys are guys, and John was one. So let's not make more of this than than than, than what it says. I know there, I've, I've seen uh, sermons written that you just take off on this John outran Peter. I'm like. Just let it go. <laughs> let it go. If, if, if you're really into that, uh, talk to John and Peter when you get to heaven. At any rate, John's the one writing the story. That's a good reason to outlive all your contemporaries. You get to be the one that tells the history. Um, John is writing this story, and so he, he, uh, he, he puts in these little things along the way that are uh, kind of fun reading. Verse 5, he stooped and looked in and saw the linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived, out of breath and way behind. doesn't say that, but he, you, know, you can kind of get the trend of this story. And went inside. He also noticed the linen wrapping, wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying to the side. And the other disciple also went in, and he saw and believed, for until then they hadn't realized that the scriptures that he would rise from the dead, that the scripture said that he would rise from the dead. Then they went home. Peter and John, real guys. They went. They went in. They looked around. They checked it out. Yep. Jesus isn't here. And then, like real guys, they went home. Checked it out. Oh, well, someone must have stolen his body. Never mind. We need to understand the mindset. We need to understand these people that we consider to be great disciples, the ones that Jesus called Peter, the rock on whom he would start the church, John, the great prophet who wrote revelations. There are moments where even though we have read the scriptures, even though we have heard the words of Jesus, even though we have been told and taught, it still doesn't sink in. We just look around with our natural minds and that's, well, that's, I guess that's, way it is and we go home they looked around the linen was folded it didn't look like a crime scene that looked like you would expect the theft of a dead body you'd think that they'd wrap up the body with the cloth that was there and take it or there'd be some other uh, evidence that uh, a crime had been committed I don't think you'd want Peter and John to be the detectives if you had a criminal case to pursue. Uh, they observed the things and just left it go. The cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded and set to one side. And, and it, was until, it wasn't until they had seen all of this that they remembered the scriptures. Oh, he will rise from the dead. And it still didn't register. It didn't register. What does it mean? They just went home. We talk about things like that. We talk about Jesus coming back in a cloud. We talk about Jesus being raised from the dead. We talk about Jesus being ver- born of a, of a virgin. We talk about these things that are such foundational truths in our belief system. 
And yet we never stop. It, it, it's like we, we, we recognize, yes, I know that. Yes, I understand it. And yet when it's time, when it hits, when it's that moment, when it's in front of our faces, it's so easy to just check out, go home. Oh, well, now we know. That's the way it is. Mystery solved. Now we understand what happened. Head knowledge. Many of us stop right there. We study the scriptures. We listen to the sermons. Maybe not so much. But we have at least some understanding. And we fill our heads. And we think that the more we fill our heads the better it's going to be. We, we, we care about our children. We try to fill their heads with knowledge, but it never touches their hearts. And until it starts to touch our hearts, until it ministers to our spirits, until we begin to understand what it was that Jesus did, what he was all about. Until then, it doesn't really transform our lives. It just gives us just another part of the knowledge of life. And so I know some Bible, I know some math, I know some history, I know some geography, and we've got all of that in our heads, and it's almost like it's equal. Verse 13. Why are you crying? The angels asked her. Oh, let's go to 11, I'm sorry. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, after Peter and John had gone back home. She stooped and looked in. Now she's looking into the same place that Peter and John had looked. In fact, Peter and John had gone in. They had checked it out. They saw what was there to see. See, this, And this is why I know it was they were looking and understanding in the natural, not the spiritual. Mary, she wept. She stooped and looked in and she saw she saw something that Peter and John had not seen. She saw two white-robed angels sitting at the head and foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. She took her time. She took in the scene. She was able to see reality. That Peter and John had been oblivious to. And we talked about angels here before. And we'll talk about them again. Because it's a very re real reality in which we live. And persons who have been able to see those angels. Persons who have interacted with angels. Have always been encouraged. Mary sees these angels. At the head and the foot of the place where Jesus had been lying. And verse 13, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Why? The angels knew what had happened. They knew that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. They knew that he had triumphed over the enemy. He knew that the greatest triumph in history had just occurred in that place. And Mary comes in crying and they're like, why are you crying? This is not the appropriate reaction. I mean, none of these people, none of the disciples are having the appropriate reaction. Just turning around and going home. That's not the appropriate reaction when you're standing on, on the ground of the greatest moment in history. 
crying because Jesus, and crying in the place where Jesus rose from the grave. That's not particularly what the angels were expecting. When the angel says, why are you crying? They're trying to understand. It's not just compassion. They're like, let's see, these two guys just came in. They didn't even see us. Now Mary's crying. Poor angels. I mean, sometimes we disturb the angels like crazy. They, 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 don't, they don't get us. Why are you crying, the angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She glanced over her shoulder. She saw someone standing behind her. She figured that maybe somebody else might have a better grasp on this thing than those angels who are sitting in the tomb. Apparently, they didn't know what was going on. They were asking her, why? Uh, why are you crying? Like, you'd think the angels would, she would have recognized them as angels, but didn't. Uh, she talks with these angels. I mean, if, if you walked into a tomb, if you walked into some place that's kind of, you know, cemeteries, and there are a couple of angels there, and they're talking to you, don't you think that would get your attention, that maybe you'd want to hang out there a little bit and talk with them and figure out, find out what they might know? I just have these questions when I go through these stories. These disciples weren't any sharper than we are. It's a comfort to me, but it's still good, interesting to ask these questions. She's talking with these angels, and she's looking around. Well, who, who could really help me? These are just a couple of angels, and she recognizes there's someone standing outside. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Um, why are you crying, Jesus asked her. Same question. Why are you crying? Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Ah, somebody who might really know, has some real information. Somebody who was hanging around here. Someone who might have seen something. An eyewitness. The angels obviously couldn't be eyewitnesses. Maybe the gardener was. She thought he was a gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me. Tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary's plan was pretty simple. The gardener would tell her where, where they'd hidden the body, and she was going to go, and she was going to get the body, and she was going to put the body back where it belonged, in the grave. Tell me where you have put the body. And I will go and get that body, and I will put it back where it belongs. You see, we understand the story. We've read this story. Most of us have heard this story year after year after year at Easter, and we've heard, heard it in between as well. Death and resurrection of Jesus. And we know what we're supposed to know. And yet, even though that's in our heads, like Peter and John, it hasn't really sunk into our hearts, into our spirits. And the way we live, the way we act is as though our job is to find the body and put it back in the grave. In fact, that's not a, something that would be terribly unexpected if we don't want things to change. 
a resurrected Jesus who's still in the grave, who's still where we know where his body is supposed to be, doesn't change us. Doesn't make that much of a difference for us. We can continue down the path that we have set on in the natural. Four things that Jesus said. First one we just read. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? The first word of Jesus was to Mary. Jesus was here speaking. A similar word, you can go back to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, where God came into the garden and basically asked the same questions to Adam and Eve. And here he's asking Mary that same question. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Why, what, what, why are you hiding? What is it that's causing you from embracing what has happened here? Jesus focused first on her pain. It wasn't, I've risen from the dead. It wasn't, now I can forgive your sins. It wasn't, now we have crossed over to the new covenant. It wasn't, the veil has been torn from the top to the bottom. It wasn't any of these other things that we think are the primary message of Easter. His first words had to do with her pain. Why are you crying? What hurts? What do you need? Who do you need? What are you looking for? Her his first word had to do about Mary's pain rather than her than his resurrection. And here Jesus is standing on resurrection ground. Jesus, after having defeated Satan, after having forgiven sins, after having paid the ultimate price, after being able to declare like any of the better than the best evangelists a salvation message, he stands there and the question he asks is, why are you crying? He didn't take away her tears. He probably could have. He could have reached over and touched her. In fact, he didn't even want her to touch him. He could have, but he didn't take away the tears. He simply stood there as the answer for her pain, the answer for her tears. You see, Jesus did not offer quick relief from her pain, but rather offered to join her in the journey. He says, who are you looking for? He knew the answer. He was, she was looking for him. And his offer in asking that question, the implied offer was, I am here. I will walk with you. And sometimes we get desperate because there's something painful in our lives or something that we're going through that's difficult. And we ask God, and we pray, cry out to God, and we ask God to take things away. And he asks us, who are you looking for? And it confuses us because all we want is an instant fix. And here Jesus is offering the same thing he offers every one of us, which is, I will walk with you through this journey. I will walk with you through this journey. I'm not just going to take away the pain. I'm going to help you walk through it to a place of health. I'm going to help you come to a place where you understand, not just with your head, but with your heart and your spirit. 
It's a very different response than we often want. And yet it's a response that takes us to real health in our lives. I ask myself as I read through this passage, why didn't Mary recognize Jesus? We know she was a very devoted and faithful disciple. Luke 8, 1 to 3, we read about the women disciples who traveled with him and helped him finance his ministry, especially Mary, because she was very grateful to Jesus from, for freeing her from a terrible torment, possession from seven demons, a woman of great wealth. And from her great wealth, she just lavished her wealth on Jesus, and she would have had great access to Jesus and the other disciples, well-known. It wasn't an unthought-of thing for her to go and talk to Peter and John. She was one of them. It wasn't something out of this world for Jesus later to tell her, go and tell my brothers, because she was one of them. She belonged. And she would have known Jesus just as easily, just as uh, the visual of who Jesus, what Jesus looked like. She should have recognized him because she had spent so much time learning from him. She was a witness at the crucifixion. She saw the whole ordeal, even though the other disciples left. She saw what he looked like at the very end as his life was taken from, as he gave his life on the cross. She even was present at his burial, according to Matthew 27 and Mark 15. And from there, we would surmise that she knew that the stone was there. But in John, we don't have that. So I'm not going there in this message because I'm sticking with what we have in the book of John. Her personal pain was her filter for her understanding. How well do we see Jesus? How well do we see the angels? How well do we see what God is doing? How well do we hear what God is saying? And... One of the biggest reasons we don't recognize Jesus when he's walking with us. One of the biggest reasons why we can't see into the spiritual. One of the biggest reasons why we don't hear God more clearly is that the filters that we have in our lives have to do with our personal pain. And we're so wrapped up in our personal pain. The pain that we carry is so great that everything that we see and all that we understand Is filtered through that pain. Why didn't God? Why do I? And we have all this pain that raises other questions and the ones that we need to be asking. Jesus, will you walk with me on this journey? She knew the truth. She knew what she had seen. She had seen Jesus die. That is cruciating pain. An excruciating death. She had seen Jesus pronounced dead. She had seen Jesus buried. She had helped in this whole process that she knew Jesus died. She knew the truth. She knew the truth. She knew that Nazareth had been raised from the dead. It had taken Jesus to do that. 
And now, of course, she knew Jesus was dead. So who could raise Jesus from the dead if Jesus was dead? You see, this is where we get, that's called inter biblical interpretation and theology. And you start asking those kinds of questions. Because those questions just take you around in a circle, round and round and round and round and round. And every time you go around, it just gives you another circle to go around. The Bible doesn't do much of that. The Bible is pretty clear and straightforward. Mary's pain was so great that she was not able to recognize Jesus when she saw him standing in front of her face. Period. There aren't any questions about that. That's just the storyline. We know what we see. We're like Thomas. We have to see the evidence. If we haven't seen it, if it hasn't been proven, it isn't real. But not just has to be proven, it has to be proven to my satisfaction. Therefore, if it's not proven to my satisfaction, it can't be true. That's where faith steps in. That's where faith steps in, where we begin to believe things before it has been proven to us. And as we step into faith, things are proven along the way because of stuff that we experience and walk through but like Mary our personal experiences keep us from identifying Jesus even when he is right in front of our faces her self-focus kept her from seeing what God had done and just like Mary we get self-absorbed in my problems and my sin and my guilt and shame and my disappointments and my needs and my, my life and my hopes and dreams that have been crushed and destroyed and, and, and all those things in which, you know, that's where our heads live. It's also where we keep all our knowledge. And the lot knowledge gets mangled to the point that we can't see what's in front of our faces. She had not understood what Jesus had promised. She'd heard the words. She'd heard the words, but what did it really mean? And that's the quest that we are on as disciples of Jesus. We continue to hear the words. We continue to read the scriptures. We hear what God has to say. But the quest that we're on is to understand that better. And as we understand better, we talk about greater revelation, greater knowledge it's not so much more knowledge, it's more revelation of what we already know. Most of us already know more than we can understand. We need to open our hearts. We need to open ourselves to that revelation of God in our lives. The spirit of the living God settling in us and taking over who we are. Verse 16. Mary, Jesus said. She turned toward him and exclaimed, Teacher, Jesus called her by her name. Mary knew the voice of Jesus, especially when he called her by her name. He, she didn't recognize when he began talking to her, but when Jesus called her by her name, he recognized, she recognized that voice. In Genesis, we read that Adam and Eve sinned. They were ashamed when God called their names. 
They hid from God and they were unable to walk and talk with God because they were ashamed as they heard their names being spoken by the Almighty God. But in this situation, Jesus speaks the name of Mary. What a difference. If you want a picture of the difference between the Garden of Eden and the resurrection, you have it right there. Those two pictures. In the garden by the empty tomb, Mary hears the voice of Jesus calling her name. And the voice of Jesus, instead of creating shame, instead of feeling embarrassed that she had not understood what he had taught, instead of being afraid that, oh, who is this that's speaking my name? Or, or here's someone that came back from the grave calling my name. Or, or, or whatever overwhelms people at those moments that cause us to pull back. Instead of that, she embraced the moment. And when Jesus called her name, she began her healing of her pain in ways that nothing else can do aside from hearing Jesus himself calling your name. Verse 17, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Third thing Jesus said was, go and find my brothers and tell them. Go and find those 12 that have disappeared. You don't have to find someone that you know where they're at. You find people that are not where they're supposed to be. And she says, go find them. Go find them even Peter and John, who stuck their heads in the tomb. Here's another question I have. Was Jesus posing as a gardener, standing in the garden, and Peter and John just rushed by them to the tomb and rushed by them as they left? I don't know. Or did Jesus just appear after the fact? uh, I want to have some conversations with some people when I get to heaven. I have a lot of questions that, that, that you know, just, just the Bible has about, you know, most of these like three or five sentences uh, less than what you need. And so it just leaves you with some questions. But I wonder, I wonder, did they just rush by him because they didn't recognize him? But Jesus says, go and find my brothers and tell them. Jesus cared for those who had not gone to the tomb. Those who had begun to separate themselves from him, who had begun to distance themselves from him, who weren't even interested in going to the tomb to see, to just pay respects. He wanted to connect with them. And Jesus also cared for those who came to the tomb, Peter and John. Those who were just satisfied with only knowing what had happened, having some kind of answer that they could deal with as they went back to the way their life had been before. The fourth thing that Jesus said, verses 19 and 20, peace be with you. That evening, on the first day of the week, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he held out his hands for them to see, and he showed them his side. They were filled with joy when they saw their Lord. It didn't matter 
the level of doubt that they had. Jesus understood that doubt. That's why he showed them his hands. That's why he showed them his side. We talk about Thomas. We say doubting Thomas because he wanted to see the same thing the other disciples had seen. But the other disciples weren't convinced till they actually saw what Thomas saw. And Jesus' words to those who doubted. Jesus' words to those who looked and took off because they were satisfied with what they saw. Jesus' words to those who didn't even care enough to go to the tomb. Jesus' words to those who had fled at the, uh, at the garden uh, when, when Jesus was arrested. Jesus' words to Peter who denied him three times. Jesus' words to all of those people that are so much like us. Peace be with you. Peace, not rebuke, not condemnation. Peace. Jesus is in the business of reaching out to people like you and me, of embracing us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have a need for forgiveness. Jesus died. He forgave every one of your sins. The only thing that keeps that from being implemented, that forgiveness, is for you to accept what has already been done. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned. All of us don't, have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us deserve that connection with Jesus. Yet because Jesus died on the cross, because he rose from the grave. Because he died in our place and triumphed over our sins. He paid the price. But he also triumphed over them. We don't have to continue to live there because Jesus triumphed over it. And because of that, Jesus offers that great forgiveness. It's the first thing. And the Bible tells us if we confess our sins. If we simply recognize the fact that there are things that we have done that don't please God and that Jesus has already forgiven it, taken care of it, and all we have to do is say, I accept it. I mean, we use the terminology of things like, Lord, forgive me. That's good. It's good to be have a for, ask for forgiveness. But it really comes down to accepting the fact that Jesus already forgave it and received that. He's faithful. He's just. That's a Bible way of saying he will. No exceptions. Forgive us. And cleanse us. Of all. Unrighteousness. I'll take a minute this morning. I have another. I have an invitation coming in a minute. But this is first. Just stop and think about your own interaction with the story. 
might see yourself as Peter or John. You might see yourself as Mary. You might see yourself as any number of other people who uh, had to, as we get on through this story, had to make a decision, a choice about what this meant. The first thing, first of all, what is it that is in your life that isn't pleasing to God? The Bible calls that sin. As we get older, we discover there's more and more stuff that's not pleasing to God that we didn't understand was not pleasing to God. And we just need to keep cleansing ourselves. We just need to come and accept and receive that. And if there's something new that is coming into your life that you're recognizing, this is not what God's best is for me. Just take a moment. And Lord, we confess. We confess this morning that just in your mind, whatever that is, it's not been pleasing to you. We confess that we just wanted to hide it and Lord, we know you see all things. Lord, we have the knowledge. But this morning, this morning I pray, Lord, that your spirit would descend on us in a new way, a different way. Not just the knowledge that you died and forgave and cleansed us. And gave us a new start. But Lord with the knowledge that. Because of you we are new creatures. We are different. And we invite you Holy Spirit to transform us today. As we confess these things. Transform us. Cleanse us. Purify us in Jesus' name. Mary discovered something important. Jesus cares about our pain. He cares about our pain and He will journey with us. He's also the one that has all power. All power. To heal. He came back from the dead. He has power over the grave, over death. Last Sunday, I was in a church in Porter Prince in Haiti, and a woman came up with her husband and this beautiful infant to give testimony. And her testimony was very simple. She had, at seven months, she had gone to the doctor because the baby hadn't been moving for a while, and they did all the exams. And the doctor said, I'm sorry, your baby is dead. In fact, your baby has been dead for some time. Your baby's beginning to you know, so 
bodies do when they die. And the doctor's main concern was how to remove the body of this dead infant before it caused her to die. And she said, no, it's my baby. This is my baby. I don't accept that. And she cried out to the Lord. She cried out to Jesus. And the next week, she started feeling something. So she went to another doctor. And they ran all the same exams, all the same tests. And the doctor said, I don't know why you came. There's absolutely nothing wrong with this baby. she went back to the first doctor took all those tests uh, the new tests and said doctor what do you do with this and he didn't know quite what to make of it but Jesus wants to walk with us through this pain that we have in life it doesn't matter what that pain is he wants to walk with us he wants us to just recognize who he is and invite him on the journey knowing that he does have the power but he's also more than willing to walk with us every step of the most painful stuff we could ever go through and for me both of those are just incredible promises and blessings and so this morning I want you to close your eyes for a moment just close your eyes and imagine that Jesus is standing in front of you just imagine that Jesus And he asks, why are you crying? Why are you crying? He cares about your pain. But we need to tell him why. And then Jesus says, who are you looking for? What do you want? Now seriously, he says, what, what, what do you want? I can heal, I can resurrect, and most definitely I can walk with you through every step that's coming. right here let me heal your pain I imagine Jesus calls out your name Gail 
Tim. Jesse. Merv. Tanner. Just calls your name. Jenna. Gina. He just calls your name. Just let that settle over you. The voice of Jesus calling your name. And then he says, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Let's stand together. Let's stand together and worship. I declare in the name of Jesus, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you.